0: Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20-minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call, and we can take it from there. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Ian Stafford. Ian, welcome. Hello, Amy. How are you? What are you up to at the moment?
1: I'm (laughs) at the specific moment I'm talking to you. (laughs) It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. I always think uh, waking up is a really good start to the day. Can't get better than that. And I've got a full day ahead of me. I have a full week ahead of me. I have a very, very full life, actually. And I'm working very hard, but I'm lucky because uh, I really enjoy my work. What was the Confucius quote? Of course, it was. If you enjoy your your job, you never do a day's work in your life. So I'm just preparing for another big event uh, that I'm going to be hosting and interviewing. Uh, and uh, I'm just on a bit of a fitness craze at the moment. I fluctuate, Amy, from you know being too busy and getting out of the groove, but I'm I'm back in the groove now, which I'm very happy about. Losing a bit of weight, getting. My body used to be a temple, Amy. Now it's a really battered, crumbly old church, and I'm trying to get it back to some kind of cathedral status. I'll never get there, but um, a little bit of rebuild would be good. So I'm doing a lot of cycling at the moment, and uh, I've always been pretty fit, Uh, hence all the challenges I've done and which I've written about. Uh, If I had put somebody up on LinkedIn yesterday, um, which is uh, uh, myself running in the 60 metres in a major indoor athletics meeting 20 years ago, which was live on uh, BBC TV's Grandstand. And I, I put it up on, on LinkedIn, which which created loads of mirth and merriment. Uh, but there was a, an underlying story behind it, which is you think you're good and then you put yourself up against the best and then you get found out. So yeah, but it reminded me how fit I used to be. And I, I, look, healthy in body, healthy in mind. And I need to be healthy in mind because I, I can't... I can't be allowed to switch off any day. It's the nature of my lifestyle and the nature of my work. You know, I've got a massive dinner with Sir John Major, who I'm interviewing in a couple of days' time. I can't switch off on that day, can I? I have to be absolutely on the ball. But however I'm feeling before, as soon as uh, the microphone goes in my hand and I'm addressing an audience, I very quickly fall into um, focus minds are whirring away uh, I have to think of the job a lot have to be quick-witted and for whatever reason it seems to work until I finish and I sort of drop the mic I wouldn't quite say rapper style um and then um I'm back to normal
0: so that mic is almost like the Pavlovian
1: trigger for you well it, it didn't used to be I mean I've, I've really you know I've, I've been around a long time um I'm, I'm much older than, than I look, Amy. I thought I'd say it before you did. I have been sort of, you know, going all around, all around the world, interviewing people. But but the live on stage element, it's only really started 10 years ago. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It was, it was quite a very, very daunting for me, even though I'm an extremely confident individual. And I remember the first year or so, I used to go and, you know, host very raucous sporting dinners and sometimes I was okay sometimes I was average and sometimes I I, I wasn't very good I couldn't I couldn't hold an audience couldn't hold a room I couldn't control an audience and I'd drive home and I'd ask myself why on earth are you doing this you don't need to do this you're having a you know pretty successful career as as a writer as a journalist as a broadcaster you don't need to do this just stop you're not enjoying it but this nagging little head uh, voice in my head just says, "Well, you're not going to do that, Ian, because you, you you don't do that. You don't walk away from something. You don't walk away from challenges. Um, you have just got to crack on and do it." And it's rather like if you uh, when you learnt to drive, and you kept stalling the car, and you could it get the biting point, and could it get the biting point, and then bang, one day you did, and from that point onwards, you, you never looked back. Now I don't know when it was, to be honest, I can't remember the pivotal moment. Uh, when uh, that happened, it might have been when I launched uh, the sporting club, my, my own club, and I had to do it week after week after week. But at some point, it turned from being something I dreaded to something I love. And uh, I mean, I, I do a lot of big events as well. I, I, I remember, well, last year I did, uh, I interviewed Lucine Bowles on stage at the Grosvenor House, 1200 corporate people drinking along, and I go up on stage and do a big uh, intro speech, then welcome Usain to the stage. Then I speak to Usain. The thought of doing that a few years ago, I would have had sleepless nights. But now I sort of woke up on that day and was punching the air. Couldn't wait, couldn't wait to do it. So I'm very lucky because I, I really, really enjoy what I do. Um, but I've also uh, created the opportunity as well to do so.
0: And what I want to pick up on is that. Moment where you you mentioned about being found out in the sixty meter race and and being up against the best, that is vulnerability at its core.
1: Well, it, it is. I mean, I have to say, I, I'm um, as you get older, uh, uh, Amy. You you at least I can only speak for myself, of course. Um, you 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 certainly should know a lot more about yourself when you get into your fifties than than you do in your twenties and your thirties, and if you're lucky. Uh, you become comfortable in your own skin and I am comfortable in my own skin so uh, I, look I was writing a book okay it was uh, nobody wants to keep reading about how good you are uh, at, at everything which by the way I'm not but at, at sports I was I was a good all-round sports sportsman and I pitted myself against the best sprinters in the world. I didn't just rock up, by the way. I spent ages training. And I've done this over and over again with all sorts of sports. I've written four books, participatory books. I'm oh, glad I've written 23 books, but I've written four participatory books. And I've also had a column in Esquire. And I used to get asked all the time to have these, these challenges. And the point wasn't, to be as good as them, because I I I couldn't be. There's no way I I, I could be. So um, it 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 was an exercise in showing how good these people really are, and that you may be pretty good at at general public level, but when exposed to the best, uh, you're you're found short. So I'm not sure I, I I was particularly vulnerable with that with that uh that uh, particular episode because I was never going to trouble them but but it was important that I tried my hardest and I trained I didn't just turn up and be a joke I had to try really really hard to do uh, to to be there and and even though I did I I, I fell way short I think possibly the most vulnerable I've ever felt doing these experiences was I learned to box over a 6 month period seriously learned to box uh, I went to the Peacock gym in Canning Town which was you know real classic old-school boxing gym. And and I I loved the fact that you left your egos outside the door and that once you went in there, you you were there with all all sorts of individuals, but they were very supportive um, and I had to go to the ring and and have a little sparring session with somebody and they all dropped their gloves, they all dropped what they were doing and and watched me perform in the ring. So, uh, slightly naively, I thought, okay, I'm kind of (laughs) – Ready now, so I flew over to Florida and did three rounds against a guy called Roy Jones Jr., who at the time was the world light heavyweight champion, who considered to be probably the best pound for pound boxer in the world. And um, uh, I mean, people listening to this will go, "Well, of course," but um, I remember we circled each other like two gunfighters in a western, and his gaze never left my eyes. And I thought about well, what happens if I if I punch him first. Will he think? Uh, you know, good on you. I like you. You've you've got you've got some balls, or would he just eat you cheeky and start punching me? So anyway, in the end, he didn't do anything. So after about twenty seconds, I punched him, and then he started hitting me, and it was absolutely horrific. Um, and he kept hitting me over and over and over again, and uh, very very quickly, I realised um, this is actually really really nasty. And then I did feel vulnerable because there was absolutely nothing I could do. Um, and I felt the full gamut of emotions, uh, anger, fear. And the reason why he was doing it, because he thought it was a one-round fight. And at the end of the first round, he came over and said, well, you've got the heart of a lion. And I had said, well, it's Roy, three, it's three rounds, not one. So he had, oh, I thought it was one. That's why I started working on you. So he went back and, uh, and we carried on. I guess what that does tell you is how determined I am uh, to produce the final product. And in this case, this was the the denouement of probably my best selling book, Playgrounds of the Gods. That's not meant to be a gratuitous plug, Uh, but it is, it's, uh, it's, well, it might even be over a million copies now. Last time I was told it was in the high 900s albeit 20 years ago, by the way. So it hasn't sold a million in a week. But anyway, it sold well. And um, and I won a, a literary award for, for, for it as well. So f- as far as I was concerned, it was all about the content. That's why I was doing it. It was all about the content. And that particular book, and a lot of my, particularly the participatory books, where I've pitted myself up against everybody, is I'm trying to represent everybody out of my comfort zone uh face facing these the the these challenges so all i was thinking about was the quality of the content that was the only thing in my mind and i guess you could say going into the ring with the best boxer in the world and being punched uh i mean there's pictures of me in the book covered in my own blood all over my, my face some people may think that really is method acting to an extreme but it, it it produced i i didn't want it to be seen to be a stunt you know i don't like to be fake about anything i I do, so yes this this drive to be as good as I can be it's it's the same now with the sporting club you know i i'm I'm anal about um about, about everything really. If I see a typo on the website and I see it at midnight and I know it can't be changed until the morning, you know I may not sleep that's 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 just the way I, I am I I, I I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist in in general. You see the state of my bedroom right now, you'd probably say not, but when it comes to my work, I am
0: and I'm really curious about the fact that you said you left their ego outside of the, the door when you went into that boxing ring. Did you pick it up when you came back out?
1: <laughs> well it was pretty battered uh by the time I uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. define ego, define ego, uh, Amy, you know, uh, confidence, uh self-belief arrogance you know where where is the line uh you if you if you stand up and speak to a lot of people as i do you need to have confidence in what you do uh if you are a salesperson which in a way i am uh i sell myself uh not only in terms of you know uh speaking engagements and tv and radio and everything else that i've done but also in terms of uh my business now the sporting club you know i'm i'm the owner and the founder and uh, I think any company, any business, uh, you know, the owner should should be reflected. The founder, the, the visionary of, of whatever the business might be should be reflected. My ideals, my mentality should be should be reflected in that. So, you know, look, you, you know how the world works. I, I'm 100% sure there are people who think I've got a big ego. That There's probably a number of people who who, who think I'm, I'm arrogant. It's, it's for them to say. Um, I'm certainly going back to what I said originally, look, Amy, I'm I'm 59. I mean, goodness me, if you, if you haven't found yourself when you're 59, if you don't know what you're doing when you're 59, then, then you're never going to know. So I'm pretty confident in my ability. I'm pretty confident in also in my instinct. Um, I've been wrong so many times. It's ridiculous. But then I don't know, tell me 59 who hasn't, a 59-year-old who, who, who hasn't been. And certainly when it came to, to the sporting club, I launched a sporting club five years ago for nothing. Uh, uh, up to that point, I'd never run a business in my life. I'd never really been a grown-up, to be honest. I'd just sort of got, gone around the world uh, interviewing famous sports, but mainly famous sports stars, other people as well, but mainly famous sports stars, and uh, sitting in the best seats in the house in sporting arenas, and um, having a really having a pretty good time, I have to say. Uh, and I launched this thing five years ago uh, from absolutely nothing. I remember sitting in my initial Mayfair club with no members and no events, absolutely nothing. A lot of my private money being put into it, tumbleweed blown across the uh, across the floor, and everybody without without fail telling me I was an idiot, um, and I didn't believe them. Um, I, I thought there was something there and I backed myself. Um, and of course, uh, nobody saw, uh, the pandemic coming. That wasn't exactly helpful for somebody who's, <laughs> whose venues were closed and whose, uh, events were, were, were canceled. It, it wasn't very helpful, but you know, you've got to back yourself and I guess it's getting that balance right between backing yourself and backing what you believe in. But also having the ability to listen to others and accepting that sometimes, not always, but sometimes other people have got uh, have got better better ideas, um, and the whole thing about the pandemic as well. I I think what, I tell you what I am better at, much better at now, is is perspective, is is recognizing what you should be stressed about and what you shouldn't be stressed about. I know it's very easy to say this, and I always say whenever I do. Uh, podcasts or whenever I'm interviewed I always stress this is just my view you know I, I I don't judge other people for how for how they are but my view is perspective is 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 a really really important thing and a lot of people felt sorry for me during the pandemic because it was very challenging for for my business I was getting no governmental help um but I mean you know so what you know life is here to to, to challenge you uh, my, uh, cousin, Joe, God bless her, who, uh, you know, was uh, a year older than me on the very day that lockdown was announced, she was diagnosed with motor neuron disease on the very day. So she didn't even have four or five months to try and do a few things before, uh, it kicked in and it took her 15 months to, to die. And, you know, we don't need to go into details about how people die from motor neuron, but it's not nice. So. Why have I got any reason to complain at all? I'm here. Uh, It's another beautiful day in paradise. I'm alive. Uh, I have my health. I um, I have my wealth as well. And my wealth isn't money in my bank account. My wealth is a whole lifetime of experiences and adventures and anecdotes and scrapes. If you've not got a thousand stories to tell when you get to to my age, I was going to say our age, but Amy, you're clearly 25 years younger than me. But uh, if you get to uh, my age and you don't have a thousand stories to tell, then what have you been doing in your life? What have you been doing? And when my time comes, which I'm touching wood as I say this, I'm I'm lying there and the doctor says, it won't be a priest, the doctor says, uh, Ian, I'm afraid you've got five minutes left. Um, I may not be happy about that, but I'm hoping I'll Think about it for a second and think, uh, ah, well, you know, uh, I'm quite tired actually now. And I've sucked every last drop out of this thing called life. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I've done the best.
0: And it's that determination that you were mentioning earlier and the unraveling, the denouement of your life that what I'm seeing here is you you've talked about being in the best seat of the house you've talked about the playground you've talked about arenas you've even used the the temple church cathedral all of these different spaces the ring and and also the right at the beginning being in the the indoor arena as well what is it that is so special about sport for you
1: well i uh, sport is life uh sport is not a game sport is life um uh, it's really important to make that point. It's not about kicking a ball or catching a ball or hitting a ball, okay? Um, I think to sports sports people have got remarkable transferable skills, and I think the, the attributes uh, and the ingredients that a top sports person needs to succeed are exactly the same as the rest of us. Um, and I use sports people a lot um, in my events to interview, but I'm not interested in why they kicked a ball. I'm interested in the human being. Uh, and let me give you an analogy. Um, uh, um, and this is not an analogy. Sorry. let me get, tell you a true story. This is a perfect example of what I mean. So I had Sir Steve Redgrave. Uh, as one of my guests quick quick aside on Steve by the way which is why I love the man so much um, I was his partner at the Henley Regatta in in one of my books and I went to see him to try and persuade him to let me be his partner and um, he, uh, he he was injecting himself at the time because he was a diabetic and I kind of stopped whilst in mid-sentence and kind of went oh 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 sorry 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 and he got quite annoyed he said well, what's your problem and I said, well, well you injecting yourself with insulin. He goes, and? I went, oh, well, well maybe you want me out of the room. He goes, would you be like this if I twisted my ankle? I went, no. And he goes, well, what's, what's your issue? He just, it, it was no issue to him. So uh, I said to him, I, I want to be a partner. Uh, I'm going to train with you for a week. I'll I'll take everything you guys throw at me. It was the Sydney, the Sydney Four. So it was him, Sir Matthew Pinson, James Cracken, and Tim Foster. And I went on saying, don't worry, I'll take everything. And he went, okay, okay, okay. And he's drinking a glass of water. And I said, just one thing, Steve, because I knew him. I said, look, you and me at the Henry Regatta against the world's best, we're probably not going to win. And I remember he had a, a mug and he slammed it down. And he's been 100% serious. And he said, I don't see why not. And he meant it. And I remember looking at him and going, my God, he means it. He genuinely still thinks we're going to win this. Anyway, fast forward. And I had him for one of my lunches. And one of my members said, "Uh, you know what? I I know he's a great name, but I'm not really into rowing. And I went, "Okay, okay, can I? Can I just explain something to you? This is a man who won five Olympic gold medals over a 20-year period, over five separate Olympics. And he was 40 years old when he won his last one in one of the most grueling sports you can play, and he earns hardly any money for doing so. And the chap said, yeah, I know, I know, it's really good, it's really impressive, but it's still rowing. And I said, ah, but it's not, my friend, because for 15 of those 20 years, he had crohn's disease he had colitis and he had type a diabetes so what does that tell you my friend it tells you number 1 he's a serial winner number 2 that whatever uh, uh that, sorry, that number 2 was he had built up a no excuses environment because i don't know any ceos who particularly want uh, their employers employees to, employers employees other well, employees to come to them and say oh, sorry, I I couldn't do it, not really interested. And number three is he built up a no-excuses environment. So whatever's thrown at him, and in his case, everything, absolutely everything, he found a way. And I said to him, are you telling me that's about rowing? Because I'm telling you that's about life. And he went, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. And he came along, he took three clients with him, and in the corner of my eye, I could see he was making Copious notes, as, as Steve and I were talking. And at the end, he came up to me and he said, that's one of the most inspiring afternoons I've ever had. And I, I went, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. So, you know, sport uh, and the difference between sports stars and, say, Jim Bloggs, who created this now multinational company from absolutely nothing and built it up to, to an amazing level. Amazing, fantastic, huge respect. But we haven't followed your story. We haven't seen it, whereas we have for these sports stars. And as a result, their so-called failures, when they are literally on the canvas, are magnified, and so are their successes. And that is why um, sports is, is 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 so great and, and creates so many analogies. I mean, before we even get into health and fitness issues uh, and also the fact that, um, you know, It teaches you to win and it teaches you to lose and to learn how to lose and to and to learn how to then succeed from the lessons of defeat. Uh, And of course, when it comes to team sports, it also teaches you how to how to work uh, uh, positively in a in a work environment, in a team environment where you're only as good as the person next to you and you can't let the person next to you down. Uh, and neither can the person next to you. So, I mean, there's so many life attributes uh, to to sport. You know, my business is called the Sporting Club. It's a business club. It's a members club for people in business. But sport is the world's greatest uh, common denominator. Nothing like sport brings everybody together, okay? I'm going to tell you a story. I'm making this story up, but it definitely happened someplace at some time, Okay. So Billy is just finishing his shift at McDonald's, and uh, he's desperate to watch the the world heavyweight title fight with Anthony Joshua. And two doors along, there's a pub that is showing it on the screen. So he goes next door, he sits on the stall at the bar where the TV is and buys himself a bottle of Budweiser. Meanwhile, Charles, who's the 55-year-old company owner, is driving around in his uh, Rolls Royce, and he's he's a massive boxing fight. And he realizes he can't get home in time to watch the fight. And he suddenly sees a big screen in this pub. So he goes, fantastic. So he pulls over, goes to the pub, and there's only one seat available. It's next to Billy. So he sits down next to Billy, orders his Hendrickson fever Tree. Billy's having his bottle of bud. Billy's on £15 an hour. Charles is on, you know, £400,000 a year. Anthony Joshua knocks the guy out, and the two of them are hugging each other. Now, what else brings Charles and Billy together like sport? Maybe music, uh, but in general, to that of, uh, to that extent, that's what sport does. So sport is not the games room. Uh, sport is life. Sport injects so much happiness. You know, when uh, the England team or any team from any country wins something big, um, productivity goes up in business in in, in industry you know it's it's a, life is a journey life is a battle it's been a particularly hard few years around the world and, and in this country and it's still far from perfect and yet sport puts a spring into everybody's step
0: i love that you use Steve redgrave as your hero or your or not even a hero but is my hero there's many of
1: them there's many of them sure Uh, yeah because
0: rowing rowing was my was my sport when I when I was younger and he was and still is an inspiration to me because he is the absolute epitome of showing what it takes to be part of a team to overcome the obstacles as you say the colitis the diabetes six times a day injecting himself I, I think it was that he was at the highest level competing And it just goes to show that it is, there are no barriers, you know, you can just keep going and it goes, comes back to that, that determination, that grit and, you know, watching, watching them go over the line in in Sydney. It was early hours in the morning in the UK at the time. I remember it vividly. It was, it was just phenomenal. And it it was, it was him that inspired me to become a national champion rower. And I absolutely loved him. He's brilliant.
1: And I remember being at uh, uh, the Leander Club in Hendi, where he used to train in January, the January after the Olympics. So you're three and a half years away from the next Olympics. And there's bits of ice on the Thames. And he's on the, uh, the, the ergo, the row machine. And he finishes. And he's in so much pain, and the lactic acids are flying all over the place. He cannot get off the row machine. So he falls off and lands on his side. And lies there in a fetal position, uh, screaming in pain. And when he takes a couple of minutes, and when he, you know, when it eases off, I look at him and say, "Steve, Steve, you're three and a half years away from the Olympics. What are you doing? Why are you putting yourself through this?" And he looks at me and he said, "It's money in the bank. It's money in the bank because when it comes to the Olympics, I have to withdraw that money." Three and a half years, that's nothing for me. It will go in a flash. I need to be doing this now. And he did. And all the other rowers, you know, Sir Matthew Pince was an incredible row. I always feel a bit sorry for Matt. He won, he won four Olympic gold medals, for goodness sake. And yet he's, hes you know, his mate won five. But Matthew, uh, in many ways, Steve, Steve they, they used to tell you, he wasn't the best oarsman. Uh, he wasn't uh, the strongest. He wasn't. He was almost. He wasn't the best at anything, but he was an animal. And and he would be the guy. I don't know whether people listening to this ever saw that Monty Python sketch where you had the uh, the knight who had his arm chopped off, then his then his legs chopped off. Then and his That is yeah. And and then he said, "Shall we call it a draw?" That's that's Steve. Doesn't accept defeat. And if you say to him, "Oh, Steve, I listen," he might just have slightly mellowed now, but he is sixty. Uh, but a few years ago, if you said, oh, yeah, Steve Waker, if won six Olympic medals, he didn't like that because he won five golds and one bronze. Didn't like the bronze. Even though the bronze came the day after. It was I was there, Seoul Olympics in 1988. He'd won gold in the um, Coxless Pairs, and then the next morning he went for the Coxed Pairs final as as well the morning after against the Abagnales, who were very famous italian brothers who were the best at the cots pairs in in the world i mean what was what did he expect and and he won a bronze and he and he wasn't happy but but i love that i i i i absolutely love that and if there's a little bit of steve in in me uh then that's great you know you you've got for me perseverance and 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 determination Override anything else. Overrides talent—the world's full of wasted talent. Talent is 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 nowhere near enough. It helps, but it's nowhere near enough. Um, education. I'm actually now paraphrasing one of my favorite quotes, which is from uh, Ray Kroc, who uh, created who turned McDonald's into a into a into a franchise. The the gist of what he was saying is, you know, education isn't enough. The world's full of educated derelicts Talent isn't enough. The world's full of wasted talent. Um, it's it's determination and perseverance, which is omnipotent. That's his quote. And I I fervently believe that. You don't give up. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. uh, And uh, you you get turned down so many times in life. Don't take it personally. uh, Keep going. And you will get there.
0: And it is that daily perseverance, that deliberate practice that leads to the mastery of whatever it is that you want to master, particularly in sport. You, You said right at the beginning, though, that you trained really hard. To, to run that race, as you did for many of the sports that you wanted to, to sort of compete with the best. The difference between where you were and where they were, what, what was the difference there?
1: Oh, it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was as big as you can get. It was bigger than you being the best at school and the person who was terrible at school and didn't even want to come out the, onto the playing field. It was embarrassingly different and that was that was one of the reasons why I wrote those books to prove to people like me who were good at sport i mean i was in the school first team for everything county etc cetera. Uh, so you know i represented everybody who sits at home with a bottle of beer in their hand shouting at the tv because somebody missed an open goal or somebody you know dropped a catch or whatever whatever it was uh to prove uh, actually no no you couldn't you couldn't do that, uh and that the gulf between you very good sports person at public level and the best is too wide. The only thing I will say is I had to be good in I had to be quite good in order to you know for example I, I went down to South Africa and spent a week uh, full training with the uh, the Springboks, South, South African rugby team now it's not going to work if I was a joke if I, if I couldn't play rugby, I had to be seen to play rugby um uh, I also joined the Leicester Tigers and actually played just over 15 minutes for them against Ulster. It was a preseason friendly. But again, I had to be good enough to be able to run, you know, to play the game alongside these people. Now, I was the worst on the pitch by a mile, but I wasn't a clown. If I was a clown, it wouldn't have worked. It, 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 the whole premise of of doing these w- would not have worked. And I wouldn't have been accepted either. I had to be accepted by these people. Can you imagine walking into a South African rugby dressing room saying, hi everybody, I'm English. Oh, I'm a journalist as well. You know, that's not a good start. So I had to learn to put my head down for a couple of days so that they could see that I was serious and that I was prepared to take a few hits as well. I mean, I've been <laughs> beaten up all my life. I've, I've uh, signed so many waivers over the years waivers that basically say just to be clear if you die it's not our fault you know i've done the crest run i've gone bull running in pamplona you know i've i've uh, i was a professional wrestler uh, i've done all these things that i've had to uh, i have i've raced a formula one car um it's endless um i've i've signed so many waivers but you know what i, I it's 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 called living isn't it the greatest danger in life is never to experience um uh, uh, any danger, and I think you have to put yourself out there. Uh, a, because it gets the respect of the people I, I did it with, and B, it's not shortchanging the public. You're 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 busting your balls to prove a point, um, and and that's why I that's why I did it.
0: And it's not from this position of lack, because you talk about you had to be good enough, and this is a phrase that people use all the time that I'm not this enough. It's not about that. For me, I see this person in front of me right here, who has lived. I mean, how many lives have you actually lived through experiencing all of these?
1: Yeah, well, it's important, isn't it? I I remember being at some god awful dinner party. I won't say where exactly, but it's the sort of place where you know the the husbands and wives just um just were bothered about the size of the house and and what car they had, and because of what I did, quite often the the conversation would would eventually turn to me. I I never promoted it, but all the especially, not just the husbands, but often the husbands and the male partners would just want to dig more into who I know, my experiences, et cetera. And there's this bloke opposite me, he was uh he was uh, uh, a broker, I think he was. He was a banker. He was he was a guy who wanted it to be known how wealthy he was. Uh, and um, somebody mentioned Playgrounds of the Gods, the book where I fought Rodgers Jr. and rode with Steve Redgrave and played with the Springboks and did all these uh, crazy things. And uh, I ran with the Kenyans. That was, uh, that was. I must tell you a story about that, actually, uh, which actually fits into what I'm about to tell you now. And he let over and he said, there was this book then, Play, Playgrounds Playground, uh, of the Gods. Yeah, 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 yeah. How much did you earn for that then? I went, uh, sorry, how much did you earn for that then, mate? Yeah, you know, uh, must have earned a lot of money for that. So I said, um, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sort of, I leaned over towards him. He leaned over towards me. And I said, uh, millions, 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 millions. In fact, I said, for all the experiences I had, I can't put a price on it. And he could see his brain sort of whirling, trying to work out what I was trying to say. And then he heard this clang of the penny finally dropping. And, and that's my point. Now, I'm going to tell you another quick story because uh, it reminded me. So when I went running with the Kenyans, it was 9,000 feet high above in the Rift Valley. And I spent a week training with, with them. Uh, lovely, beautiful people, beautiful people. You talk about stresses in the world, you know, and perspective. So there I am training with them. <clears throat> and at the end of the week, I'm in the Kenyan National Trials for the 3,000-meter steeplechase. <laughs> and we're in this ramshackle stadium, 15,000 locals there in Eldoret. I'll tell you how ramshackle it was. There were cows and sheep grazing in the middle whilst we are running about. And it was something I've seen. The book. Uh, there were basically two white guys in the whole stadium: me and this Irish uh, priest called Brother Colum, who was well known in those areas for, for being a coach of all of all the athletes. And he was there with him, with his mule and me. And so we we started. And um, <clears throat> I'd obviously trained hard for this. And for the first two hundred meters, I was sprinting. And my other seven uh, runners were jogging languidly. And after 200 meters, I realized, if I carry on like this, I'm going to blow up. So I said, I'm going to have to get back to a pace that I'm used to. So I got back to a pace I was used to, and they they shot away. And what it meant was, with two laps to go, because it's seven and a half laps, two laps to go, everybody else had finished. It was just me. And um <clears throat> uh they were all chanting, they were laughing, they were applauding, <clears throat> they're going mazungu, 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 which is Swahili for white guy. I fell into the water jump. That was a really high hurdle, and I tripped and I fell in. Oh my goodness, laughter, joy, etc. And I didn't really care whether they were laughing with me or laughing at me. It it didn't matter. I it was even though I I was terribly shown up. It was a joyous occasion. Anyway, at the end, an old man came up to me and I thought, I I, I recognize you from somewhere. And it was Kip Kano. Kip Kano, the man who won Olympic gold in 68 in Mexico and 72 in Munich, the godfather of African long distance running. You know, Kip Kano opened the, the, the door for the Kenyans, for the Ethiopians and, and, and everybody else. He is a god in Kenya. And he came up to me and he said, look, I'd like you to come and visit me tomorrow. And I went, no, of course, I'm writing a book. So of course, I'm, of course I'm going to say, yes, of course, I'd love to. So the next day I went to see him and he actually ran an orphanage. So you know there were hundreds of uh, uh, children there. And he took me into his living room and he gave me uh, a very cheap African water carrier, a gourd, sort of aubergine-shaped Water gourd, which, by the way, if you go into the street markets um, in Africa, cost about two pounds to to buy. And he gave it to me, and I said, "Why, why, why are you giving me this?" He said, "This is your prize. This is your prize." I said, "Well, why? Why do I deserve a prize?" And he said, "Because you entertain me. You made me laugh." And I went, "Okay, I'm not sure that was my plan to make people laugh." And he said, "But more importantly," he said. You finished. You finished. You could have just stopped. The race was over. Everybody else had finished. But you finished. And I really liked that. And so this is me showing respect to you by giving you this. I always get quite emotional when I tell this story. Now, it's, it's, you could buy it for two quid in a, in a market. Uh, so it's, it's worth nothing. But to me, it's worth everything. Worth everything. And if I had a fire in my house, that would be one of the first things I I would say. And it goes back to the Oscar Wilde quote about knowing the uh, the price of everything, the value of nothing.
0: And that kind of sums up the conversation here, the, the priceless element that sport brings to the each and every person in terms of it does entertain us. It does bring that element of seeing other people achieve and finish and the the perseverance they go through it gives us hope it gives us we do respect that and we know that we can't perform to that level but for some reason we get that huge amount of fulfillment from being part of the journey from seeing that happen
1: well you know amy everybody is really good at something everybody's really good at something. And so the, I, the sports stars that I know, obviously I, I'm friends with quite a few of them. So, but I I, I still respect them, but I'm, I'm not in awe of them because they're human beings. At the end of the day, they're just normal human beings like everybody else. Um, I, I am, we don't have time on this podcast, Amy, for you to list all the things I'm absolutely terrible at. Okay. I just don't have the time, but I'm quite good at what I do. and. I would argue to the proverbial cows come home, not sure where that comes from originally, but anyway, that everybody is very good at something. If you're lucky, um, or if you try really hard and go through so many, uh, experiences until you find it, you might just find what you're good at. And if you, if you can find what you're good at, go for it. Uh, and, uh, I was I made a really, I made a big mistake, uh, but a really useful mistake. Very early on in my adulthood, where I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, uh, all my uh, my teens, my mother was a journalist in Fleet Street in the sixties, at a time when you hardly had any female journalists at all. And I really wanted to be a journalist. Um, and but I was at, uh, at King's, King's College, uh, London, reading history, and I was pretty penniless. I I'd sort of came down to London. And it was like, wow, I've arrived, the big lights, this is amazing. And, of course, I, I spent very quickly uh, the very meagre student grant that I had. So I was fairly penniless to the point where I was, actually became a busker. Um, there's an example. I was a busker, and I wasn't very good, but I, I could play anything with three chords. And um, and I used to sing popular songs. And there's somebody down the, uh, the, uh, the subway who was brilliant played violin fantastic but but she sort of you know didn't particularly play recognizable stuff and i did three four called strumming beatles and simon and garfunkel and rolling stones and and i got you know 30 pounds a day a day doing it which at the time used to keep me uh, tidy me over and the old ladies used to go oh you got a lovely voice and then the kids at uh, at uh, end of school used to throw gobstoppers into my tin and then the winos, because there were quite a few around there, the Elephant and calves used to put half-drunk half, half drunk cans of Tenant Super Extra uh, into my tin, which was a lovely gesture. Uh, um, <clears throat> but anyway, so um, I used to do that. But anyway, going back to my story, I was penniless. And then the, the university milk round, where uh, companies came round and interviewed people at, at the so-called Better Universities. And in a moment of madness, because I had no m- money Um, I signed up to be a marketing executive for United Biscuits, who are a very, very big company. And um, they got me for £14,000 and a Ford Escort. Um, And this was in 1985. And it took me two months to realise, what the hell are you doing? I never wanted to do this. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a journalist. And you literally turn your back on this for bloody Ford Escort. and. £14,000, and I quit, and I had absolutely nothing, and um, and there's a magazine, there's a sports magazine called Sportsweek, which, which was a Robert Maxwell production, and um, <clears throat> I had absolutely no right to, to, to write for it, because it was well-known uh, Freak Street national sports journalists who were writing for it, and I wrote a letter to the editor and heard nothing, and I wrote another uh, letter, I wrote, I wrote 12 letters. And the 12th time, I got a reply, which was a very, very nice way of telling me to, you know, go off, bleep off. So I then phoned up his office and uh, got lucky, but I graced the luck because I made the phone call, spoke to a Welsh guy there, and I said, "Uh, I want you to tell me everything about the uh, the editor. So he told me, and then I said, right, put me over to him. And he put me over to him, and I said, "Uh, hi, Roger, this is Ian, who... You know the guy who's who. who uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. What 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 do you want? What why are you on the phone? How, how did you find me? I said, well, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you and I have a lot in common. And he went. Well, how do you mean? And then it went through. Well, we both history graduates. You went to Warwick. I went to uh, Kings. We both did this. We both we both uh, played for university first teams at, at rugby. And uh, you live in Kingston upon Thames. Uh, my auntie lives in Kingston upon. I went on. Oh, bam, bam, And went. And, and, and I said, it just so happens, Roger, I have got a meeting tomorrow in the building directly opposite your office, uh, which wasn't exactly true. And um, for the sake of five minutes, and it's he, he, like, yeah, OK, OK, five minutes, just just pop in and say hello. So the next day I went to see him for five minutes uh, and an hour later, he offered me a job which was absolute lowest of the low, by the way. It was gopher, it was tees, it was photocopying, whatever. But my foot was in the door. Uh, and then it, it carried on, it came from there. And the point of that whole story was, I, by going for that job with the car, I went for the, re- the so-called reward at the end. Uh, sorry, at the beginning of the equation. And what I learned very early in my life is that the equation to work the equation goes like this try and do what you really want to do I'm not saying it's that easy but if you can try and do what you really want to do and if you do what you really want to do the chances are you're going to be good at it because you really want to do it and if you're good at it you get rewarded for it whatever your definition of reward is and I think we've just gone over my definition of reward but the reward comes at the end of that equation not at the start of that equation, and I learnt that very, very early on. It was a great life lesson, life lesson for me.
0: And on that note of priceless perseverance, which has been the overriding theme throughout, how would people reach out to you? In what's the best way for them to connect with you?
1: Well, I'm all over LinkedIn. You, you can't miss me on LinkedIn. Um, you'll, you'll find me there. So there's, there's probably more than well, there are more than one in Stafford's, but. I think there's only one ginger Ian Stafford at the moment, you know, we're a, we're a rare race, you know, and obviously we're coming to the summer now. So do think about us, gingers. just the sun's coming out. It's, it's tough for us. So I'm all over LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Ian Staffs. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Ian Stafford. Uh, I'm even on TikTok now. I, I, I said I wouldn't be on TikTok two years ago, but that's just me being an ignorant old idiot. Like all these social platforms, they start one way and then they evolve very quickly. So I'm also on TikTok. You'll, you'll, you'll find me there. Um, and um, you can get me on uh, Ian at the Sporting Club. Uh, do have a look at the Sporting Club uh, uh, website. Where it will show you all the venues that our members hang out in to work and to uh, chill and to meet fellow members. Look at our events page. Um, you know, we, I mean, last year we did, uh, did this with Sugar Ray Leonard so Jeff Hurst, and Damon Hill, and Dan Carter, and Conor Montgomery. We've got John Barnes coming up, and Dame Kelly Holmes. What a story Dame Kelly has. Uh, Dame Laura, Laura Kenny, um, all sorts of, uh, of amazing individuals. Oh, we've got Samoa Farrar later in the year. Now, that is a journey of perseverance and, and, and belief, even when everybody around you uh, didn't believe in you, and everything was thrown at you and 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 he came came through so i can't wait to uh to sit down i have the best seats in the house and to, and to talk to those people but i just think look in in, in enjoy life it, it you know sadly this isn't a dress rehearsal so make the most of it for goodness sake make the most of it and have some perspective always remember stress is dessert spelt backwards i always quite like that one and um and the other thing is that other, I, I put it up the other day, actually, on, on LinkedIn, the whole analogy of, of holding something, holding a, a, a mug of tea, as what this is, a full mug of tea. Keep holding it, keep holding it, keep holding it. It's going to weigh heavy, it's going to weigh heavy. It's going to weigh heavy, it's going to weigh heavy. Whatever. So put it down. And that's the same as stress. Just put it down. It's not going to change anything. Uh, uh, get on with your life. Um, and just enjoy yourself if you can. I, I'm, I try really hard to enjoy myself. Uh, if you can go to bed every night and you've had one belly laugh and you've hopefully helped somebody as well, it costs nothing to help somebody. So if you help somebody, you've had a belly laugh. I think that's a good day.
0: It sounds like a great day. And and what you've shared today from my perspective is that grit is at the core of Combined with passion and perseverance, it really is the the route to having a great life and a fulfilled life. And you've you've definitely illustrated that across many of the stories you shared. So thank you so much, Ian. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Can I make one final point?
0: I would love you to. One, thank I you. I just
1: want to make one final point. anybody listening to this, okay? Uh, you know, life life is a, a roller coaster, as we all know. And trust me, uh, I've had some very, very dark days, especially during my childhood uh and everything. Else. So please don't think you're listening to some smug person who thinks he's had a wonderful life and he's smashed life. Um, now, I've had some terrible times in my life, but it just makes you stronger. And it makes you realize that when it's not good, you know, what did Churchill say when you're going through hell? Keep going. Uh, so when things are going badly, just get through it. And when things are going well, recognize it, appreciate it and enjoy it.
0: How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.